Hey there, everyone. Hope you're doing well today. It is uh, February 7th, Thursday, February 7th, and this is Rafael Garcia back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Like I said, I hope everyone's doing well today. I hope everyone is doing good. Um, my friend, Shawan Humes, is not able to join me at this time yet. He's having some technical difficulties. Shawan, are you back? Yes. Great, 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 man. So um, get yourself situated a little bit there so we can hear you better. But I'm glad you're able to join us. How are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad at all. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. Thanks for allowing me to take the day off on my birthday. Um, Hope you had a good one, man. It was good, man. I'm glad I got to celebrate. Glad I got to celebrate. Um, we got some things to talk about today. I'm going to be throwing it to you uh, a lot tonight because we got some pretty interesting fights to kind of recap. <clears throat> And look forward to, but um, let's start by going backwards a little bit, and let's talk about um what we saw last weekend at UFC Fight Night, Rafael Sansal versus Marlon Rouse two. This was a pretty big night for Marlon there, man. This guy earned a very, very, very important win in making himself pretty much the number one contender for the bantamweight title as he finished Rafael Sunsau in the first round of their main event contest. I think he becomes, let me see, he's the first person to finish a Sunsau since Eric Koch did it back at UFC 128 in 2011. So Isn't he the only the second person to submit him? He's only the second person to submit him, third person to finish third person to finish him. He was finished by Eric Koch, Ryan Faber, and he was he was submitted one of, and, and this is the third time. So talk to me about this win here, man. What did you see here and break this down? What what did you really see occur on Saturday? Well the biggest thing I've always I've always said about a Sensao is that he has that awkward style. It's kind of a traditional martial arts. He's got a longer stance and it manipulates the distance between him and his opponent where he can dive in for his shots and exit out and can and limit their ability to attack him. The only problem with his style is it's hard. It's a hard style to get a read on. In my opinion, it's the kind of style that the more looks you get at it, the easier it becomes to resolve. And you saw that against TJ Dillashaw had all sorts of problems the first time, second time still had some problems, but, but built a much better performance winning a decision in the second go round. In this case against Marlon Moraes, who's one of the better athletes, better all-around fighters, and better finishers, he kind of had a read on what a Sun Tzu wanted to do and how a Sun Tzu operates. And once he got past the Sun Tzu's, the distance, the barrier, and the mobility, he just he, he overwhelmed him. A Sun Tzu has a huge hole in his game in regards to volume, in regards to what he does defensively and offensively when a guy is in mid-range on him. He's good when he puts one or two shots together, but he's no good when he has to when you're able to stick with his movements and force him to have to defend or exchange, get into extended exchanges. When that happens, he tends to get hit. He tends to get hurt. And that's pretty much what happened against him. Rise was too explosive, too dynamic. He was able to close the distance on him. And then he was able to land some shots, got him in trouble, and finished him. And it's it's pretty much the way I saw the fight going. I, I didn't think Asensio was going to be able to dictate the pace the way he likes to. And when he can't dictate pace, he's not nearly as effective wrestling, not nearly as effective grappling. Not nearly as effective, even on even with the striking. So it just started off. It started off okay, but once Marias was able to figure out the timing and and close distance on him and attack from range, and to set up the entries, um, 
Asensio just didn't have any answers. And it, it sucks for him because he's a good fighter who probably deserved to be ranked higher and treated better, but they didn't want him to ever have a shot. And now he's even further away from a shot than he was before. So talk to me about what made this fight so different than the first one. The first time around, and I'm going to be honest, I always kind of point to such things as octagon jitters. I think that they that, that is the real thing. We saw issues with so many guys. Um, like I always think of Jake Shields, who didn't look great against his fight against Martin Kentman, and a lot of people tried to flay him for that. And Marlon Morales didn't look good against Rafael Sunsal, losing that fight via split decision. Some people still think uh, it was some a little bit of home cooking there, but you know they're both both uh, Brazilians, and so there really wasn't that. It was just a, it was just a tough decision to take home. What do you think made this fight? So different for him now that he was in his he was in his fourth UFC fight, second main event. Um, I, like I said, I really think a lot of the difference came from. I mean, Morais didn't want. Like, I think there's legitimacy to what you're saying. He didn't have the octagon jitters, but if you look at it from a technical perspective, Asuncao's a really hard guy to fight coming in because he doesn't fight at the range or, or with the pacing or with the volume that most guys in mixed martial arts fight with. So when you're fighting a guy like a Sun Tzu, it's very hard to find somebody with his style or his, his characteristics and his tendencies. You find a lot of guys who are basically just grapple guys who kickbox or kickboxers who learn to grapple. A Sun Tzu doesn't fight like that. He has a very distinct rhythm. He has a very distinct range. He has a very distinct amount of volume. So you're coming in as a dynamic striker, but you're facing this guy who is very careful, very meticulous, doesn't give away very much, and it's quick to counter anything you do. In the second go-round, okay, I have I, I know how quick he is. I know his timing. Even Because you can study a style from the outside, but until you kind of really feel it, it's really hard to understand how quick somebody is, how powerful they are, how awkward their timing is. Marais had a three rounds to, to three rounds of experience. And since then, he's been facing an escalating level of competitor as far as athleticism and, and ranking. So his confidence is at an all-time high. And now he's facing a guy who he's got his timing down, he's got his rhythm, he's got his pacing, he's got his spacing, which makes it a lot easier to be offensive and to go on, and go on the attack. Before he was hesitant, partly because of nerves, partly because the sun style doesn't give you very much to work with. This time he didn't have any nerves. This time he had a clear idea of what a sun style could and would do in a fight. And that allowed him to exploit those things. Yeah, I definitely think it was a lot of um, exploitation there. Do you think, and I have, uh, before we talk more about Marlon Morales, I have a pretty interesting question about him. Do you think that Rafael Sunset was one of those cases like a John Fitch was in, uh, I mean, almost like an, an MMA generation ago where he was such a great fighter but just never got that shot at the title because of his, his style? I think he'll never get a shot at, at the Bantamweight title. Do you? Do you I would in, in some shape or form? I would agree. The difference being that Fitch actually got his shot, mm -hmm. but much similar, much similar. That that's the same issue. Um, a Sun Tzu, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a crowd pleasing style. Most times when he wins, even if it's a KO, it's not one of those dynamic get you out of your seats ESPN highlight KOs. Most times his wins are, are fairly dominant decisions where he he outs he he outsmarts somebody. He breaks them down. He just, you know, does just enough to, to, to do damage, not human, humongous damage, but to score points and do some damage and to keep the person from returning fire. Those aren't the kind of fights to get fans excited. Those aren't the kind of fights to get executives excited. 
So he never had the style that was going to bring him the support from fans or the support from the uh, UFC brass to get him those title shots. And now in his second go around in the UFC, because he got injured and he was out for a while, he's, he's been good, but he hasn't been good against elite guys. And when mm-hmm. he has faced the elite guys, he's lost. So now the UFC actually has a legitimate reason for saying, you're not going to get a title shot. You lost to Marais dominantly. You lost to TJ Dillashaw in a, in a good fight, but still a fight that you clearly lost. So they didn't. So now he doesn't really have any grounds to stand on outside of past accomplishments. And accomplishments from two, three years ago isn't going to be enough to keep him in title contention. He'd probably have to go on a five, six win streak, five, six win fight win streak and do so impressively to have any shot at a title fight. But I, I don't think he's going to get that shot. I don't the think he's going to get that shot at all. The only way I would see that happening is if a fight between Morales and Dillashaw is booked and Marlon gets hurt last minute and Rafael Sunsao is kind of put on that card as like an insurance policy. Because remember, he does have a, a albeit controversial win over TJ when they fought in Brazil back in 2013, a win that has been since um, revenged and now they're one and one against each other. But that's the only way I see Rafael Sunsao sliding into the um, title picture, regardless of if the, he's on a big, big win streak or, or, or not. The one, the one thing I think that hurt him is I think he heard some of the the, the, the complaints about his style because against Marais, he, he tried to be a little bit more aggressive. And, I mean, he's still trying to manage distance, still trying to keep that distance buffer while he walked him down. But he was being a little bit more aggressive. He was sitting, sitting a little bit more down on his heels when he was swinging. And he kind of walked himself into the shots, Marais, which was going to happen because he doesn't have the – the boxing acumen to block, slip, roll, or parry those kinds of shots at that kind of range. So he's walking into a range. He really has no tools or techniques or weapons to defend himself in and basically set himself up to get dropped. That's why usually he kind of maintains a distance, works those broad angles, works those broad circling turns so guys can't expose that lack of boxing he has. In this case, he was trying to maybe put on a show or maybe put on an impressive win that would get some attention and maybe get him a title shot, and it ended up costing him. I don't think necessarily he would have won anyways because the, the same issues, he's still got the same weapons, he's still got the same time, and he's still got the same tendencies. But basically pushing yourself into the weakest area of your striking game wasn't doing him any favors either. So it's like I think he felt the pressure and felt he needed to do something dynamic, and that kind of cost him. So I don't know if you watched uh, Luke Thomas's MMA analysis this week um, where – MMA analyst, excuse me, where he broke down the fight between uh, Sun Tzu and Morales, but he has some pretty good uh, information that he provided there about the way that uh, Marlon set up the overhand right that dropped him in the, in the finishing sequence. But I don't want to go into that too much because if, if you know if you want to go watch the content, go check out the YouTube channel over at, at uh, MMA Fighting. He does this, he he does this thing every Monday. I don't want to steal his thunder there. But he asked a pretty interesting question about Marlon. And he asked, why, when we talk about the best athletes in MMA, why don't we talk about Marlon Morales, a man who looks the part? I mean, dude looks like a action figure. Some of the pro wrestling toys I used to have back in the day, he's ripped just as, bit, just as much as they are. Why isn't he talked about as being one of the best athletes in MMA? Um, a lot of it because most people still haven't been keeping a close eye on him. A lot of it's been against WSOF, and I think the issue that those guys are lesser athletes or lesser fighters has kind of hindered his 
has hindered his his rise as an opponent. And even when his first fight against the Sun's out, you see speed, you see explosiveness, but you only see bursts of it. And if you're the people in in most people's mind, if you're this kind of athlete, you know, in theory, if you're this kind of athlete, then you should be able to essentially blow all these guys out of the water. And against the Sun's out, you didn't you saw flashes of it, but you didn't see any extended athleticism and you didn't see the results you usually get from athleticism. There wasn't big knockdowns. There wasn't big explosive strikes. There was what w- he wasn't able to overwhelm a Sun Tzu. So people's first impression of him was like, he can't pull the trigger. He, he, he can't get to this guy. He can't, he can't corner this guy. He can't overwhelm this guy. How good an athlete can he be? And when he's in WSOF, he was facing second, third tier fighters. So it made him look even more dynamic than he was, than he actually was because he's facing guys who aren't even within the realm of his athleticism. I, I expect that to start turning around the fight with um, the Funk Master. That that was a good example of it. But in the fight with um, Rivera. But the thing about the simple fact of the matter is, people haven't seen enough of him to really appreciate how de- how dynamic he is. And at that weight class, there's a lot of guys who are really good athletes. So it's hard it's harder to really separate yourself when you're around guys who are of comparable speed and explosiveness to you. It, it, it's a, it's it's just harder to stand out. Period. Funk Master is very athletic. Rivera is fairly athletic. Cody Garbrandt's very athletic. TJ Dillashaw to a degree. Thomas Almeida to a degree. So his athleticism is still high end, but it, to me, it's not stand out. It's nothing where I'm like, oh, he's just so far ahead of everybody in the division. I don't think of it like that. He, he might be at the top of the division, but he doesn't outpace them like a like Ronda Rousey used to outpace the bantamweight division. There was just such a gap between her and the next best athlete. It, it's not the same way in, in the bantamweight division. People are within an arm's length of him or a couple feet of him. It's not such a big gap. So that's why I don't think that gets played up as much. Sorry, I was on mute. True, there's definitely some good points there. I, I, I think it's a rather interesting conversation. Um, I wish there was some way of measuring it, but, you know, it, it is what it is. But uh, Oh, yeah, one more thing, one more thing. You cover, once again, you cover, um, you've covered um, traditional sports too, and I watch a lot. I've covered them too. The thing about it is, we are familiar with actual athleticism. Most people aren't. Most MMA fans don't watch regular sports, so they don't. It doesn't stand out to them as much. They don't. They don't get it. I, I don't want to sound like we're we're anybody's better, but when you've seen the top of the end athletes who aren't, aren't in combat sports, they're in traditional sports. You can pick it out a little bit easier. You can you can notice it. I can notice it. A lot of mixed martial arts fans don't don't they don't know what real athleticism is because they don't really see it. They think these guys are the best athletes in the world athletically, and that's. Nine times out of ten, not the case. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I do apologize. No, you're good there, man. You're good. You're always, always finding some good um, insight there. So I want to continue moving on because the other probably big moment of note from UFC Fortevela, Fort, whatever UFC Fight Night, uh, Sunset versus Morales. I'm not in a place to do some good enunciation uh, tonight. Was Jose Aldo getting a big win over Rafael? Uh, well, ooh, wait, wait, wait. Over Moicano. Yes, Renato Moicano. He got a big TKO win in the second round of that fight there. And I mean, it is are we watching Jose Aldo go through a renaissance of sorts, or is it just a simple fact that he is still number two when it comes to the flyweight or the featherweight division, and still so much ahead of everyone else? Uh, I think that's really what it comes down to. Um... Jose Aldo isn't the athlete he used to be. People are going to try to convince you that he's just as good as he used to be. He's not. His durability isn't there. His hand speed and foot speed isn't 
quite what it used to be. His explosiveness isn't quite what it used to be. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, pretend like it is. But the thing about it is people started overestimating how much, how much he had lost, how much he had declined just because he got finished by Connor. And then he went and got finished by Max two times in a row. People weren't, people didn't understand what they're seeing. Max has a very high pace. Max has a great chin. Max is very physical and he has an array of skills, whether it's striking or grappling, that allow him to do things that the majority of fighters in flyweight can't do. Plus, Max is a pretty good athlete himself. Conor McGregor is a guy with top-end reflexes, top-end countering skills, distance management skills, and a guy who had gotten under Aldo's skin and had Aldo fighting out of character. So those two guys expose holes in his game, but under but under very specific circumstances. The majority of the people in featherweight don't have the skills, whether it's mental, physical, technical, or strategical, to exploit Aldo in a similar manner. So just because Aldo got beat by two all-time greats, people felt he was vulnerable to just anybody who was coming up and could punch or was younger than him. And that wasn't the case. Jeremy Stevens was is essentially an educated brawler. He's not very skilled grappling. He's not a high-level wrestler. He's not even a high-level striker. He's a guy with some power, with some basic functional striking skills, basic fun- functional wrestling skills that he uses with his athleticism and size to win fights. Moicano is a defensive guy who uses his length and uses his movement and his positioning to essentially befuddle guys and force them to have to Look for him that he's not there to get hit. You have to kind of hunt him down and search him down and then hope you can get to him while he's picking you apart and chipping you up. The difference is he's very limited offensively and his defense is overrated. His footwork isn't good under duress. His footwork demands him being in a wide open space so he can get away and dictate pace and range to you. When you start pressuring him, his footwork falls apart. If you can counteractively, his, de- his, his offense will fail him. And then his footwork will start failing him defensively when he's put on the defensive. He's good when he's dictating, when he's choosing to be on defense, and he's making you chase him. He's setting a trap. He's forcing you to come after him. Against Aldo, that wasn't the case. Aldo was in charge from point A to point B. Moicano had some moments, but that had less to do with his actual skill set and the, and the structure of his offense and more to do with the fact that he's younger, he's longer, and he, at this point, their athleticism is fairly comparable. But once Aldo got the timing, once Aldo figured out what he wanted to do, Aldo started taking apart. And once he started landing, Moicano didn't want anymore. He, he didn't have any answers for him. So a lot of people were just thinking it's like, it's basically Aldo lost to two all-time greats. And people said Aldo's past his prime. He's no good. And they forgot how much of a distance there is between Aldo and the rest of the division, McGregor and the rest of the division, and Holloway and the rest of the division. That Holloway versus Ortega fight should tell you all you need to know about how big a gap there is between the elite in the division and everybody else. And this was just another fight that highlighted that point. So what what can you do with Aldo? He's already talked about the fact that he plans on finishing up, plans on retiring. He wants to fight two more times in Brazil and basically call it a career. So here it is now. 2019 people sometimes forget how great he is what do you think about him maybe finishing out his career at 155 taking some great fights at lightweight and closing things out with closing things out with like fun fights him against maybe a i don't know 
Donald Cerrone, him against a Nate Diaz. Just some fun fights that will get people talking and get people excited about some uh, excited about him closing out his MMA career. Well, I would prefer that to be honest, because um, in the case of, if he saves the featherweight, all that's going to happen is he's going to start knocking off featherweight contenders. Because anybody with a name and a high ranking is going to want to fight him. If he fights them, essentially, he doesn't want to fight for a title again. So now you just, you're setting the division back. Moicano was a guy who had opportunities to maybe challenge for a title with another win or two. Now you've taken one more contender out of the mix. Ortega's out of the mix because he lost to Holloway. Now Moicano's out of the mix because he lost to Aldo. Aldo doesn't want to fight for a title anymore. And even if he did, he's already lost to Holloway twice convincingly. So nobody's going to buy that. So as you stated, going up to lightweight would actually be the best bet because A, he's not going to be challenging for a title. If, if a guy beats him, they get Jose's Aldo name on the resume, which helps them move forward. If Jose Aldo beats them, he's not going to be getting a, a, a top five lightweight. Therefore, he's not keeping anybody from moving closer to a title shot. These guys who he's going to be fighting aren't are probably like three or four fights away from a title shot, depending on who they fight. So he's not disrupting the division. He's not holding up the division, he's not knocking off contenders. And you still get fights with big-name guys who have exciting styles who are going to get the fans what they want to see. So lightweight is the best opportunity. At, at featherweight, I, I just don't know what the point of having him fight guys is. It just holds up the whole division by having him fight anybody who's ranked in the top 10, much less top 7 or top 5. So final question about Aldo before we move on. Where do you rank him in featherweights of all time, like in the all-time status? I still have to say he's the best. I mean, his his resume, even when he's lost, he's only lost to the very best. His resume shows that he's beaten, he's cleaned up the division at WEC. He almost cleaned up the division in UFC. And even when he's lost, it's except for the Conor McGregor fight, he's never been an easy an easy mark for anybody. So, and, and he's defended the title more times than anybody. I don't know that Max Holloway is going to defend the title as much because I don't think Max Holloway is going to stay at featherweight for the next year or two years. I think he's going to move up to lightweight sooner than later. So there's a good chance that Ho- Jose's defense of the belt will never be matched. McGregor never matched it, and McGregor never even attempted to. So who else has been at the weight class for as long, beaten as many top-caliber guys, and defended the belt over an extended period? I don't think there's going to be another guy – to do it and he did it in two organizations and he did it without essentially losing a step for the better part of what seven to ten years so uh, i think he's still going to be number one and it's going to take a guy who can at least defend the title as many times if not more to outpace him i definitely agree i find it hard to see any guys over or surpassing him other than Max Holloway already. So uh, I, I do, I wish he got more respect from this new era of MMA fan who's only familiar with what Conor McGregor did to him because before Conor was doing what he was doing, that was Jose Aldo putting people out. Like I remember his, the way he dispatched of Mike Brown, the way he, he made, Uriah Faber have to get carried back to the corner. What he did to Cub Swanson, even. He did a Cub Swanson, exactly. Both times. Uh, what he did to Cub Swanson, what he did to Jeremy Stevens. People forget about. Mendez oh, fight. That was vicious. That was embarrassing. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that one, too, as well. And then, like, and, you know, he beat Frankie Edgar twice when he was in his prime. So, I mean, like, people forget how great 
Jose Aldo is, and I hope that he really gets the respect that he deserves at some point in time. I think it's a little bit difficult just because MMA fans are a special breed of fan, but I hope that we really, I hope this guy gets remembered in a way that is truly enough to appreciate what he did and what he brought to this sport. You know, I, I would like to see him get the respect he wanted, but it, I hear this from a lot of fighters, so I'm going to have to co-sign with them on this one, one of the few times I do. I'm actually going to say, even if he doesn't get the respect, what I'm going to appreciate is the fact that he eventually got paid because respect is great for his fans who want to have him be, be remembered a certain way or have him be looked at a certain way. That's great and fine. Respect doesn't pay for his kids. Respect doesn't pay for that house note. Respect doesn't take care of him moving forward. He he ended up getting in a position where the UFC, UFC got him paid. And that's the most important thing. Even as a fan, more so than the respect, you should be happy when your fighter, your favorite fighter, whether great, whether they're great, just very good, or an action fighter, whatever, you should be happy when they get paid. Because as we know, mixed martial arts are common. The paydays aren't as consistent. There's no pension. So if your guy gets paid and he's never respected, hey, he bettered his life, he bettered his family's life, and he got a fair exchange for the, what he gave up in that cage or in that ring or whatever he already competed in. So the most important thing, more important than him being remembered, because if he's remembered but he's broke, that does nobody any good either. I'd rather him be well off and not remembered than remembered and can't pay his bills and has to keep fighting for, for nothing. Very true, man. Very true analysis there. Um, the only other thing I really wanted to touch upon, you know, and I don't want to give it too much time, is Damian Maya out here doing Damian Maya things at 41 years old, doesn't get touched, doesn't get hit, goes out there and submits um, Lyman Good in the first round of their fight there. Damian Maya, dude, um, what do you have to say about that? Uh, people like it's almost like the Aldo thing. Da Maya was never a world champion, but he's still probably one of the greatest Brazilian fighters of all time. He he made it to a title fight in middleweight and welterweight, and he did so in dominating fashion. When he beats guys, there's no there's no misunderstanding. There's no close decision. It's it's very obvious when Damian Maya has defeated you. And even though a lot of people aren't going to give him his credit because he's never a champion, uh, the caliber fighter he is is amazing. And only the guys who have been the highest ranked guys, or in some cases, the best guys in division, if not history, have beaten them. So it's a good reminder that just because he's a little bit older, just because he's maybe lost a step, or just because he looked bad against Tyron Woodley or uh, Colby Covington, that doesn't mean that Damian Maya isn't that dude in the welterweight division. People don't people people don't go looking for him. Covington wouldn't have fought him if it wouldn't have brought him closer to Woodley. Woodley would, didn't want to fight him if he didn't have to. And that there's a reason for that. And it's nice to see people be reminded of how skillful and how dangerous a fighter he is. Very true, man. Very true there. And speaking of skillful and dangerous, Charles Oliveira, I think he has a record of most submission wins in the UFC. Has he reached his ceiling? Is he someone that's ever going to be like an actual title contender? Do you ever expect to see him in some type of number one contenders fight? The thing is, he, he seems to just not be able to make weight. Like he always seems to have weight issues. He always seems it, it basically Oliveira is a good fighter. The thing is, when you get to a certain level, facing a certain level of opposition, he always ends up getting crushed. That's been the history on him. He'll go on these win streaks, he'll dominate guys, he'll submit guys, he'll be you'll see see him be so explosive and dynamic and physical, and then he'll face a certain caliber guy and he just gets wiped out. Every single time he just gets wiped out. Now he showed some improvement. His striking seemed more grounded, he seemed more confident in it, he seemed more aggressive. And he's, his chin seemed a little bit more sturdy. But once again, he wasn't facing an elite guy. Every time he seems to face elite guys is when you start seeing 
the inconsistency show up. You start seeing the durability look iffy. You start seeing his submit ability to submit guys be hit or miss. And so I, I don't I don't ever know what to make of him. And I've been fooled by him before. He goes on these huge win streaks, and you're like, he's ready to take that next step, and he never really ever takes it. So as for right now, all here is what he's always been, a guy with a lot of potential, a guy who puts on exciting fights, and a guy who beats everybody else in the division except for the very best in the division. He's like a backwards, a lower-level Donald Cerrone, who is another guy who beat everybody else who's the best because he's beat the rest, not necessarily because he's beaten the best. Interesting comparison there, sir. Interesting comparison. That's a fight I wouldn't mind seeing. Did, have, haven't they fought once? I don't think they fought before. I don't think so. But that's a fight I wouldn't mind uh, watching at some point in time in the near future. But, you know, and man, Alvaro's only 29 years old. So we'll see what happens. We'll come back to that. But anyway, let's move forward and let's talk about fights this weekend. We have UFC 234. And we have a pretty interesting situation here with the with the way this co-main event and main event are set up in the main both of these are middleweight fights in the main event you have robert whitaker who is probably the most underrated champion on the ufc roster today i can't think of anyone that's more undervalued than the man known as bobby knuckles who clearly has the best nickname even though he doesn't go by that nickname that's the best nickname that anyone can have in mixed martial arts. He's fighting Kelvin Gastelum, a man who has fought, basically pulled his way up by his bootstraps. Even though he had he struggled to make weight at 170, he's he's figured out a way to get the job done at 185 pounds. They're fighting, and in the co-main event, you have probably widely considered one of the best fighters of all time. And Anderson Silva, my vote always goes to GSP, but, you know, Anderson Silva's up there. He's probably number two or three. And he's fighting against what people are calling the second iteration of him at Israel Adesanya, even though he doesn't like being called that. This is the perfect situation for, I would say, all four men involved. Um, the reason being is because in a co-main event, while I doubt Silva would get a title shot if he wins, him and Adesanya can sit back and make a bold statement if they get a highlight real highlight real victory and call out the champion in uh, whoever wins the co-main event or excuse me, whoever wins the main event. For Whitaker, though, I feel kind of I feel kind of bad for him because here it is he's finally he's coming off of two fights against arguably one of the toughest title challengers that UFC could put together in Yoel Romero. Whitaker had to beat him twice. And now he's facing someone else who's probably in, in, who's being overlooked right now, in my opinion, in, in Kelvin Gastelum. Even if Whitaker wins and Adesanya or Silva wins, I feel like his victory is going to be overshadowed by depending on what happens in this co-main event. What are your thoughts about these two fights here and, and the four men involved? Well, unfortunately for Whitaker, Whitaker hasn't seen to catch on with the with the casual fans. He's a really excellent fighter, a guy who's who's turned around from being a middling welter, welterweight to a world class and basically pound for pound best middleweight in the world. Um, he just hasn't caught on. I don't know why he puts on exciting fights. He's developed he's developed an array of skills, and more importantly, um, he just he's beaten the who's who at at middleweight, I mean, he's beaten Romero, he's beaten Brunson, he's beaten Jacare, 
you know, he, he's beaten just a, just a variety of high-level experience established fighters, and he's done so in dramatic and uh, impressive fashion. He just hasn't caught on with the fans, and it's hard to really build him. Now, in his country, he's, he's huge. He's great. But in America, he hasn't caught on, and I don't know what it's going to take for him to catch on in a manner that's going to make the UFC really get behind him. Um, Gastelum, I'm not as big on as you are. I, I think he's a good fighter, but he was an elite welterweight who fought very good to elite welterweights and beat him. Since he's been a middleweight, he's been basically beating up on old men and shot fighters. I mean, he's wins over Bisping, Vitor Belfort, Tim Kennedy. I'm like, I mean, what what world should that even should that should that even count towards a title fight? I mean, his best fight, his best win is probably over Chris. His best opponent was probably Chris Weidman. Oh, no, his best one was Jacare. Jacare's already lost in decided fashion to Whitaker. But outside of the Jacare win, what other win does he have that really says that he's the best middleweight in the world or he should be the number one contender? I, I just don't see him. I, I don't see the wins there. And I'm not trying to say that against him. I know he's a good fighter. I know he won the ultimate fighter at middleweight. But currently, to get to this title shot, the only person he's fought who is really a threat and really capable of competing at a world-class level at this stage of their career was Jacare. Everybody else has been like a showcase fight for him. And I can't believe people actually thought Tim Kennedy or Vitor Belfort was going to be successful against him or the recently knocked out or submitted Michael Bisping was going to come two weeks later and fight Kelvin Gastelum and have a chance. It, I think he's done a good job reinventing himself, but he really hasn't done anything to deserve the position he's in, except I guess he did what he's supposed to do, which is beat up faded guys and with a, blown up or blown up names um and i I don't think this fight is going to generate a lot of interest it should be good while it lasts but it's not the kind of fight that gets the public's interest i don't know that it has a lot of interest for the hardcore fans so whoever wins isn't going to have any grounds to stand on as far as the ufc putting money behind them or building them up because this isn't the kind of card and this isn't the kind of main event that gets you five hundred thousand buys or a million buys they do 200 to 300, they should be considered lucky. But lucky isn't what they're looking for. They're trying to establish themselves as stars in the division. I feel like this is the prop. This is, we don't get this too often. This is an example of prime matchmaking and timing by the UFC because I was thinking as I was listening to the MMA, MMA beat earlier this afternoon, but this is a perfect example for Adesanya to call his shot. If he goes out there and let's say he starches Anderson Silva, he should make it plain and clear. He's the number one contender for that middleweight title. There isn't anyone else that is standing out right now, um, regardless of who wins from uh, Gastelum and Whitaker. And even, you know, yeah, Jacare talking about fighting him at some point. There's no way there isn't anyone else on that roster right now that would justifiably be able to leap out of Sanya. Well, so the thing is when he should make it a point to not only call out the winner of that middleweight fight, but he should also drop a hint that he's coming after John Jones too. I think that that would, that would elevate him in a way that I don't think we're even ready for right now. I'm not saying that it would happen next year, 
or in 2021, whatever. But if he was to drop that little hint that he is not only coming after that middleweight belt, but the 205 one at, at the same time, we could see something special happen. Well, the main thing is, like, he, whether him or Anderson wins, they'd be the biggest option for Whitaker or Gastelum, to be honest. I mean, Anderson still got weight. He still has a name. He still has some cachet. And it Adesanya is the biggest star in the middleweight division. He's getting all the interest. He's the one get, who who kind of has clev, who's clever in the interviews, who does little dances, who does things that generate interest outside of just the straight up and down fighting of it. Plus, his style and the way he's been so dominant, his enamored fans of Anderson, fans of just mixed martial arts in general, and his style and how he comes across, I think has the potential to draw in the outside casual fan. So if he wins he's probably going to call for a title shot. And I don't know who else Whitaker would face who would give him any sort of chance to make any sort of money or make, or put a stamp on his career as far as saying, Hey, I'm fighting the best. You should pay attention to me. If he fights anybody else that it's not an interesting fight. It's not something that sells. It's not like something that's sexy. I mean, this fight in itself between Gaslam and Whitaker isn't particularly exciting to me on a, on a multitude of levels. A fight between Whitaker and Adesanya is exciting to me. A fight between Whitaker and, and Anderson. If Anderson beats Adesanya, it may not be. It might not be technically interesting or strategically interesting, but just from the what Whitaker has accomplished and what Anderson's accomplished, if somehow he beat Adesanya and they had to fight for a title fight, that that moves units. That brings in casual fans. That brings in hardcore fans. Those two fights have an appeal outside of just the main appeal of two guys fighting. So whoever wins that fight shouldn't have to demand a title fight. They should essentially just be given one because there's nobody else in the division with the interest, the charisma, or or the or a more impressive win that's gonna have an opportunity to fight for the title. And I don't think anybody would make a big enough impact in the next year or so or six months for them to change that change that around. Anderson wins, Adesanya wins, whoever wins should get the next title fight, clearly. Yeah, I definitely um uh, uh agree uh but man like there's so many there's so many questions about what is going to happen next that i think that we're kind of overlooking the fight themselves i you know i am of i am of the ilk of when this fight was uh, the anderson silva adesanya fight was announced i wasn't too pleased with it i thought that they're trying to put the O-line out the pasture in, in Silva. We know he's kind of had some, he's had some rough, rough patches over the last like three to four years. Um, what are your thoughts about breaking this fight down? Is this a fight that Adesanya should basically walk through and steal the show? Or is there something that Silva hasn't shown us yet that he can use in this fight and help them get by with, um, with uh, Adesanya to get the win? Well, the thing about it is Adesanya and, and Anderson, when Adesanya says that Anderson got me into the game, he really means it because they're not exactly the fight, but in the general style and approach to the game, they're the same fighter. The thing is, who everybody thought Anderson was for all these years, that's actually who Adesanya really is. People thought of Anderson as this world-class, unique, style-bending striker who blended traditional mixed martial arts, boxing and Muay Thai, and he, he was just untouchable. And the thing about it was Anderson, through his willingness to, to explore other styles and to actually get in there and spar boxers, spar Muay Thai guys, spar Taekwondo guys, and really get in there and do that work, it allowed him a certain 
seasoning and a certain awareness and a certain understanding of striking and comfort that most guys in mixed martial arts don't have because all they do is spar other mixed martial artists. I know this from experience. Most mixed, a lot of mixed martial artists, I've, I've actually sparred a better level of boxer in training than most mixed martial artists. Most mixed artists are like, well, I sparred my, I sparred this guy ranked this, this, this in the UFC. That's not going to help your boxing. Sparring the fifth ranked mixed martial artist in the world isn't going to help your boxing. Sparring a former world champion to help your boxing. Sparring a guy who's a current world champion will help your boxing. Sparring a guy who's a national Golden Gloves winner or an Olympic alternate or an Olympian themselves, that'll help you. But sparring a guy who's just as good as you or worse isn't helping you do anything except take punches. Anderson actually expanded his realm, and that's why he had the comfort in the boxing range. And that's why he could stand in front of you and block and parry and roll and slip and be poised. Because when you're facing MMA guys who are trying to box and you face real boxers, you develop the composure and the poise and the patience to handle yourself in certain range, certain ranges. That's why Anderson did things like baiting people and setting traps and countering people. That comes from facing a higher level of athlete in that particular realm and then going into mixed martial arts where, where you're facing guys who aren't nearly as skilled, aren't nearly as knowledgeable, and aren't nearly as gifted athletically. But the difference in this is Anderson was never a world-class striker in striking individually. He's a world-class striker in mixed martial arts. Israel Adesanya is a world-class striker in striking. So his striking is a little bit more textbook. Even though it's fluid, it's a little bit more textbook. It's a little bit more refined. He's a little bit more accurate, and he has a little bit more balance in his game than Anderson. Anderson could never really lead. He couldn't create openings. Adesanya can. He still likes to counter, but he counters by coming at you a little bit and creating, creating, creating counters by throwing out throwaway punches, putting a little bit of pressure on you, or setting traps. Anderson only could set a trap. He'd sit back there, bait you, stick his tongue out, stick his chin out, leave his leg out, give you something for him to counter. Adesanya can do that, but Adesanya can also press and come after you aggressively that forces you to fire off and, and allows him the opening, allows you to create an opening to get that counter. So it's basically Adesanya is a higher level Anderson Silva. He's a real Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva is the guy, the legend. Adesanya is actually the legitimate reality of what Anderson Silva would be if Anderson Silva was what we thought he was. Doesn't mean Anderson Silva's not good. He's a very good striker. He's a very smart striker. He knows a lot of the tricks. In as far as actual boxing defense, he's probably a little bit better standing still and slipping and rolling and dipping away from shots than Adesanya. But as far as the all-round skill, the all-round resume, the all-round familiarity with a certain level of athleticism and technique, it's not even close between these two. What makes this fight interesting is because Anderson is more defensive. Then most people, he's not Brunson. Brunson's an idiot. He runs right into shots. Um, Tavares isn't an idiot, but he's so limited as a striker. All he, he uses is toughness and durability. And against fighters like Anderson or Israel, Israel, if all you have is volume and toughness, all you've guaranteed is you're going to run into a lot of shots and you're going to be tough enough to take a lot of shots before you get put out of your mercy, before you, you get put out mercifully. Anderson's a guy who knows how to manage distance. He knows how to roll from punches. He can take a couple shots. He can parry a couple shots. Israel won't have the wide open chances to counter or lead like he had against other guys. So early on, it should be a little bit difficult because he's going to be trying to find positioning. He's going to be trying to find the range. He's going to try to find the right shots to get through to Anderson the way he wants to get through to him. So early on, it's going to be a chess match, which most mixed martial arts fans aren't going to like because they don't appreciate the finer points of striking. Grappling, yes. Striking, no. And that's what makes it more difficult. 
because he's actually going to have to, it won't be physically punishing, but strategically and technically it'll be difficult because Anderson presents different problems than almost anybody else in the mix in middleweight division because most of them don't pay attention to defense or feints or setups to strikes at all. So from that point, this fight is very interesting. From a youth and youthful point and an actual skill point offensively, and as far as variety, it's not very interesting at all because Adesanya is so much better in all those realms than Anderson. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be some interesting moments there, man. We're going to see a lot. I don't think it's going to be one of those one of those fights where guys just walk out there and start slugging. That's not going to be the deal. It's going to be definitely a more scientific, science scientific. Jesus Christ, a more scientific. <laughs> you still you still at your birthday party? <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's going to be a more scientific fight between the two, which is kind of which is what I'm actually looking forward to myself. To be honest, I, I like that. I like these type of fights because it gives you an opportunity to sit back and break down a lot of film after the fact. And I'm hoping that we get that. And I'm hoping that that is actually appreciated uh, when we get this fight on Saturday. Swan, you're, um, you're, you're getting a lot of static and stuff like that. So I don't know if your mic is rubbing up against something, but please uh, straighten that out for us, please. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, there's one thing, there's a couple things that, uh, that might make this fight a little bit more exciting. If Adesanya gets a boring split decision win over Anderson, that's not helping anybody. If Anderson gets a split decision boring win over Adesanya, that helps him because he's not supposed to win this fight. But Adesanya can't go from two dominating fight of the night performances to eking out a decision over Anderson. I mean, I guess he can. I wouldn't suggest it. I'm thinking that he's going to have to take some chances. And Anderson might have some opportunities to land some counters or to get to some positions that he wants to in the fight because Adesanya at some point is going to decide to put on the show and as faded as Anderson is Anderson still has veteran savvy. He still fought at the highest levels of mixed martial arts. And even though he's known for the fancy stuff and the matrix stuff, much like a Floyd Mayweather or Sergio Martinez as slick as he can be when it comes down to it, he's a gritty tough fighter. And if you, if he's going to go out, he's going to go out on his shield. He he's, he's not going to just let himself be bullied and styled on Anderson will make it a fight if it comes down to that, because I believe he'd rather get knocked out than, than be styled on and embarrassed. So I feel that there's going to be opportunities for Anderson to get into clinches. I think he might even try to attempt some takedowns on, on Adesanya if Adesanya, Adesanya comes too hard on him, because Anderson, I still believe, is a better grappler. Offensively, he's probably the better wrestler. He's not probably as technical in the, in the clinch as Adesanya, but I would think that he's a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, so he might be able to do some work just off pure physicality and strength. But in the open cage, working at distance and with full mobility, I don't see a lot of ways that he's able to compete with Adesanya. And and just on a side note, I really think that Anderson, if he could land some shots, could put Adesanya in some trouble. I don't think Adesanya has really taken a lot of clean shots or sharp shots. And Anderson doesn't throw a lot anymore, but when he throws, it's fairly clean. It's usually something he set up on a counter, which maximizes the power. And I believe that if he could hit Adesanya clean with something, I believe he could put him in trouble. I'm not saying it's indefinite because Adesanya manages that distance really well. But I honestly believe that in spots, Anderson could do something that could put Adesanya in a, in a position where he could do some work or maybe get him down and look for a submission. It's not very likely, but based off what I've seen at Adesanya, his defense in mid-range isn't as sharp as people make it out to be. He likes to reestablish distance, and then go back to work. But if you can keep him in a certain range, I think he's vulnerable. 
Uh, thank you for that um, analysis there, sir. I appreciate you doing that. Let's also, there isn't much else that stood out on this card to me uh, for UFC 234. I want to talk about. It's a really about, bad card. It's a really bad card, dude. Everyone noticed that as soon as this fight was announced. So we're not going to focus too much about that. Um, Imagine if you're Whitaker, you get points off this pay per view, and this is the card that they gave you. Yeah, definitely. You did. You got to be upset about that. Robert Whitaker versus uh, Kelvin Gastelum. What are your thoughts about this fight going in? Stylistically, this should really just be a win for for Whitaker. Gastelum does not have good defense. He he's not a big puncher. He gets by on volume, activity, and durability. But he hasn't faced anybody capable of matching his volume, matching his activity, or a guy who's a big enough hitter to really give him pause. I guess I guess um Jacare falls in that. But Jacare can't keep a pace. He fights in spots. He can't really continue a pace. He can't really set up his shots and break somebody down. He's just going to throw a series of shots and try to exchange with you. But he can't maintain it. So Whitaker seems to be the biggest problem for Gaslam. Gaslam's not a super big middleweight. He's not super physically strong. So if you look at it from a technical and physical perspective, there's not many places that Gaslam can get to Whitaker and do anything with him. Whitaker's a better boxer. He's a better striker at range. He's got more tools. He's probably the better wrestler at this stage, defensively and offensively, and he's the bigger, stronger athlete. The only advantage that maybe Gastelum might have is this, is that Whitaker at times has problems when guys jump on him. Due to his traditional martial arts background, he likes to work at a certain range and assert himself, and as the fight goes on, you see him be a little bit more defensively aware, a little bit more defensively sound. If you jump on him early, you can get to him. Um, at welterweight, he lost to, I forgot that guy. He's a well, I, for, he follows the guy, huh? Not he's Stephen Thompson. Thompson. It was Stephen. Stephen Thompson was another guy, but it was um, is the guy who used to work with Chuck Liddell's trainer. He came back from drugs. I forgot. Uh, he's Court McGee. There you go, Court McGee, a physical, aggressive guy who throws a lot of volume and sets a high pace and has a good chin, has a more or less a good chin. That guy basically outworked basically outworked Whitaker. You had Stephen Thompson, who prior to his fights with Woodley was known as a guy who throws a lot of volume. And and it sets a very high pace. So and Derek Brunson jumped on jumped on Whitaker early, and even though Whitaker ended up putting him out, he was in some rough spots himself. So Gaslam can jump on him and force his pace and build on this pace. But the problem for Gaslam is Gaslam doesn't hit particularly hard. So he's not going to be doing nearly the damage that a Wood, that a Thompson would do. He's not going to do nearly the damage that a Brunson would do. He'll be able to maintain it. He'll be able to keep putting it on there. But the fact of the matter is if he can't really, really hurt Whitaker, at some point Whitaker is going to get his bearings, control the pace and distance, and start breaking, start breaking Gaslam down. The only real question is how damaged has Whitaker been from all these wars he's been in? Because he was in a war. He got beat up really bad against Thompson. The t- fight against Mark- McGee was tough. He had two wars against Romero, five rounds each, which he needed massive time off to heal. And then he had the war against Derek Brunson which was also a back-and-forth punishing fight. So the question is, even at this young age, has he been irrevocably damaged? (laughs) Neither one of us can speak today, man. If if he has been, then Gaslam's getting him in the right spot. But if if Whitaker is the guy he's been a year ago, two years ago, I don't see how Gaslam wins this. He doesn't hit hard enough. And even if he does, his defense is awful. Everybody hits him. Jacare hit him. Vitor Belfort got to him. Chris Weidman got to him on the feet. It was able to control him in spots. Chris Weidman was able to take him down and control him. Chris Weidman hasn't taken down and controlled anybody in years. So Gaslam is in the right spot and the right time. 
his chin should allow him to place volume. His volume should allow him to have some success. But this lack of defense and his lack of variety in his striking says that he's going to lose, and he's going to lose fairly decisively to Whitaker. All the changes he needs to make, you can't just make in eight months. You just can't make in six months. You can't just make in a year. Because early on the fight, you can be a little bit slick defensively. You can do all that stuff. Once the fight goes past those opening minutes, you start taking heat. That's when we see how the how much those changes have been ingrained in you. And unfortunately, most guys don't take the time and really focus to really adjust their style. Gaslam's not. I don't think Gaslam's adjusted his style. I don't think he's capable of adjusting his style at this level. So I I see Whitaker winning somewhere. I mean, he might knock him out quick if Gaslam comes right at him. He might have to break him down a little bit and finish him in the third round. But I don't see too many ways Gasolin wins this fight, except if he can jump on him early and overwhelm. And if he loses, that just tells me Whitaker is damaged goods. That doesn't tell me Gasolin's anything special, because Gasolin couldn't put away old man Jacare. As dangerous as Jacare is, he landed a lot of shots on him, and he couldn't put him away. And he he was landing at a 67% clip. How do you land that many shots if you're a power puncher and not put a guy who's been knocked out in the recent in recent times and not put him away. How, how does that happen? I am definitely very intrigued because I want to see what Whitaker looks like from after the, uh, after those last two, um, 10, basically five round fights, because we all, we always wonder what these five round fights take out of people. And I think that this is going to be a good gauge to kind of understand what, um, what he, what type of mileage he has left, and I, I hate to say it that way because fighting Yoel Romero is never going to be an easy task for anyone. Um, and he went through it twice, and he went through the ringer both times. So I'm pretty interested to see what that damage has done to him over the long term. Have you thought about if if Adesanya wins and uh, Whitaker wins? This is like a huge fight for that region of the world, that part of the world, because of where both guys come from. Like, internationally, that could be a very big fight. In America, it might not be a big deal. But internationally, for those two cultures, those two areas, that could be a really big fight. Yeah, definitely. So I I wonder if the UFC is really hoping this comes over because that might be the thing that sparks their big, you know, that fight would have to be over in that area. And it could could be huge, huge business-wise as far as pay-per-views and and money and shows and and the attention they would get. And the chance to kind of broaden their their scope of influence. So I mean, it's clear who the UFC wants to win. To be honest, I, I think they really like the Adesanya and Whitaker win. They'll take Silva, but Adesanya and, and Whitaker is the internationally that's a very big fight. Yeah, it's a huge fight for that area out there. Um, is there anything else that stands out from you for you on this card? The only thing that I really think about is uh, Lando Venata and wondering which version of him we're going to get in his fight. And you're, you're, still got, you're still having a breakup there, man, but I'm wondering which version of Lando Venata we're going to get in, in his fight because, you know, he's opening the card. And still, I'm still pretty surprised that he's actually in the UFC at this time. I'm not surprised. He's very excited. I just wish he had some defense. He's dynamic, creative offensively, but he, can't, he, can't avoid a, he cannot avoid a strike to save his life. I, 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 don't, I think if I sparred him, I think I could get a couple licks in off him. I mean, he knocked me out. Let's not be crazy here. But his defense is, for his athleticism level and his creativity, I have never seen someone with worse defense. Everybody hits this dude. And they don't just hit him with grazing shots. They hit him big. 
I understand what the UFC has him in here. I don't understand why his management doesn't make him take a break and spend a year, year and a half working on his integrating some wrestling and integrating some defense because there's no way he can, he maintains this pace and this level of fighting. You can't take the punishment he takes fight after fight. When's the last time you've seen a, a Lando Venata fight where he didn't take a beating in? I can't even think of one. I can't think of any. You can't you can't keep that up. You can't keep that up for years and years. You can't keep I don't know how much longer he can be to this level. He takes a couple more fights like that. He won't be a UFC level fighter. Because once his chin goes, it's all over for this dude. As good a fighter as he offensively, as creative as he is, as soon as his chin goes, his career is done. Because he has no defensive habits and no defensive characteristics. And the only thing that's getting by is that he's got a chin and he's got a heart. And once you take that chin, that heart is useless. I, I like the guy, but whoever whoever's trained him has done a disservice by not balancing out his game and making him more defensively sound. You are shortening his career, and I'm sure his trainer's very good, but it, it's irresponsible. Maybe he just doesn't care, but I, I don't know. It seems kind of irresponsible to me. Very understandable there, sir. So let everybody know, what are you working on this week, and what kind of, what is catching your eye on the MMA scene? Uh, I'm trying to work on some pieces where I'm trying to look at how prospects have been handled because I, I've touched on this before, but people are ruining world-class prospects, and it's not just the organizations anymore. It's their teams. It's their management teams. They're making them – they're letting them take fights. They're letting the fighters call the shots. You don't let fighters call shots. Fighters want to take on the biggest and best challenges. That's why they're fighters. You are businessmen. It's your job to manage the business and move them accordingly. And we're seeing all sorts of top-notch people, fighters, or people who had hype trains get ruined or lose all their shine because they're being moved faster than they should be because the organization wants them to. I don't care what the organization wants. If I'm your on your team, we do what we want to do, what's best for us. Organization can just cut us or they can get along with the program and pay us. It's the one phase of development that mixed martial arts is still terrible at. And the one reason why boxing is able to develop stars and develop guys and get them to a certain level and be ready to perform at that level because they take the time to develop them and they move them accordingly. MMA does not do that. And we've seen a bunch of fighters be ruined because of it. And I'm, I'm kind of looking into that a little bit. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. I am doing some uh, grappling coverage, which you'll see about my piece about Fight to Win Pro hitting um, their 100th show this past weekend and also continuing my coverage with professional wrestling and everything else is going on. So as always, be oh, sure. You do professional wrestling, right? You're right. really into that? Yeah. I was watching this YouTube clip of Nia Jax and all the time she's botched moves. Oh, my God. That was horrible. Yeah. Nia, uh, Nia Jax is something else. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said it wrong. I I saw that. I was like, because if you watch wrestling, you understand the artistry of it. And when she's messing up, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's going to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, man. She's a, she's a uh, special breed. Yeah, she's a great athlete. Very strong. But when you're that big and that strong, you can't you can't mess up things. That's the thing that put people out, not for six weeks, but six months to a year. She's a she's very impressive, but it, it's a wrestling thing. You know, you I'm sure you've seen it, and it's just as horrifying to you. But I was watching with regular people, and they're like, I don't understand what's so bad. And I'm like, how do you not understand what's happening here? Yeah, she's definitely almost sent some people to the hospital more than once. Yeah, but, I, um, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to wrestle her. <laughs> let everybody know where they, where they can find your content every day. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as always, talking mixed martial arts, boxing, 
coaching strategies, all this stuff. Even in my downtime, I'm talking to, to various camps, coaches, just trying to get some be- better insight on fighters, better perspective. So hit me up anytime on Twitter. I'm always um, ready to talk. Um, you will soon start seeing more of my stuff back on MMA ratings. That is a promise for me. I've been just trying to trying to get some time to actually do good stuff, man. These kids are ruining me, man. <laughs> hey, what did you get for uh, for? And that's what my daughter says. She goes, "Told you to have us." And I'm like, "I'm gonna have one less kid if you keep on talking. I will choke you out. I will choke a 16 year old girl out. I won't feel bad about it either." Just don't. Just don't. Just don't get caught, please. <laughs> just don't get caught. <laughs> Disregard this comment. I was just joking. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's serious. But with that in mind, guys, let's go ahead and um, close the show out. And everyone, let's have a great week. Take care of the people that, that you love and tell everybody hello. Have a great weekend, everybody, and I'll talk to you uh, next week. Have a great day. Everybody. All right, guys. Yeah, have a good evening, man. Thank you, Thank you guys for supporting us.